me to Judges chapter 3 as we're going through the book of Judges, Judges chapter 3 this evening. Would you stand with me and let's pray and ask that God would bless our time in his word. Father, as we open up your word, we ask that you would speak to us. And as we have sang, you are the great I am. And we humble ourselves before you. We bow down before you, God. We worship you. We thank you for your grace, the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from our sin and, and redeems us. And God, we know that lasting change happens through your word and the power of the Holy Spirit. So would you send your Holy Spirit in a unique way and touch our hearts, God? We need your nearness. We need your presence. We pray that we would take your word, that we would be doers of it, that we would apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. I read an article this week from a flight attendant, and she was describing the 10 grossest things that she's experienced as a flight attendant. She does international flights. They're overnight flights. Some of them I will spare you because they're just a little too gross, but I will pass on two. In the first class section, there was a man who decided to take his shoes off and his socks, and if you've flown over the pond, the ocean, you know, it is nice to take your socks and shoes off. He was served a meal, and some of his meal fell onto his feet, and later on he had an impromptu snack, and he decided to go ahead and pick it off of his toes. I wore my sandals tonight to illustrate this a little bit. And he ate the leftovers. Now, that's pretty gross, isn't it? Another first class passenger had wet socks. And he decided that he was going to take these socks off and dry them in the vent. (laughs) The stench was so bad that it went back to the second class passengers. Those are pretty gross. But possibly, the Bible study tonight could be the grossest story that you have ever heard. I probably have your attention. If you've read ahead, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't read ahead, you're in for a real treat tonight. With the book of Judges, we've titled it, I Rule. And the reason is, is because everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound like the day that we live in? The mantra of just do whatever feels right to you. If it feels right, it must be right. Don't let anybody tell you that there is a right and a wrong. Where does it lead to? Is it a good way to lead life? Judges shows us very clearly that we can't simply do what is right in our own eyes, but we need a Savior. We need Jesus Christ to die for us, to rise again, to conquer our hearts, to conquer our lives, where it's not I rule, but it's Christ rules in my life. As we get into chapter 3, we're going to be introduced to the first three judges of Israel, the first three deliverers of Israel. So let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 3. Now these are the nations which the Lord left, that he may test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of wars in Canaan. Verse 2, this was only so that the generations of the children of Israel 
might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formally known it. Chapter 2 is important to keep in mind because the children of Israel, they rebelled against God. They didn't defeat the, the land. They didn't defeat the enemies in the land. Joshua had won a large victory, but there was still a mop-up operation to be done. Each tribe was given a specific area of land. They disobeyed that. So God said, I'm going to leave these nations now in the land to be a thorn to you. And they're going to test you to reveal your heart of disobedience or your heart of obedience. But God's desire was to give them total victory. This was a result of their disobedience. So here's those that were left in the land. Verse 3, namely five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites, who dwelt in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath. And they were left that he may test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commands of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. For clarification, please understand that God doesn't tempt us. We know that from James chapter 1, that we're tempted and drawn away by our own lusts, by our own evil passions. That's what draws us away. But God will test us. He will put us through different circumstances in our lives so that we can have our heart revealed to us. It's not that God didn't know the Israelites' hearts, but they needed to know the condition of their own heart. So as we go through difficulties in life, tests that the Lord allows, what are the test results saying? It's important to respond to test results. If you go into the doctor and the doctor says, you know what, your heart's not looking very good. If you continue living the lifestyle that you are, you're going to get yourself in real trouble. You can walk out in foolishness and walk out in arrogance and go, who's that doctor? What do they know? They don't know anything. I'm going right down to five guys, burgers and fries. You know, forget this. And ignore those, those test results. It's a scary thing to be able to do. But sometimes in our lives, we ignore the diagnostic that God is giving to us. I like to drink coffee. And as I drink coffee, while I'm driving, oftentimes I don't have a travel mug. It's kind of a fun game for me, a little competition that I, that I do. Can I make it to work without spilling? If I hit a bump, if I knock that coffee mug, whatever's inside is going to come out. And these nations, they're knocking up against the children of Israel, and it's revealing their hearts. So what is it this week? What did God show you about your heart this week? Were there some difficulties? Were there some challenges? Were there some tests? Maybe that boss is that test. It's been going on for a while. Maybe that landlord is the test. Maybe things didn't go quite the way that they were planned, and, and that was the test. And sometimes we succeed, sometimes we fail, but the important thing is we should respond and go, okay, Lord, you're, you're teaching me something in the midst of this test. But please remember, God tests us for our benefit. He's a loving father that says, I want you to see where you're really at, so you're going to go through this test. So how did Israel do in verse 5 and 6? Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. It's a lot of ites, isn't it? Maybe underline or at least consider that they dwelt among these people. God had commanded that they would wipe these people out, but now they're dwelling with them. What does that lead to? Verse 6, and they took their daughters to be 
their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and they served their God. So first they dwelt among them and then they had relationships with them. They were married to them. A lot of times compromise in the Old Testament came through relationships, romantic relationships, even marriage, and following after the heart of these false gods. If you're single tonight, could I speak to you for just a moment? Be careful who you date. Be even more careful who you marry. A lot of times people get married and they think, oh, I can change him. I can change her. I believe in the mission field. In fact, my mission field's not Mexico or Uganda or Morocco. It's dating. I missionary date. And I'm going to lead them to the Lord. It's going to happen. What often happens is the exact opposite, is that person that doesn't know Christ, that worships false gods, they lead the believer away from Christ. And that's what happens here. They're dwelling among them, then they begin to to marry in these nations, and before you know it, they're worshiping these false gods. They've entered into idolatry. So here is the first judge, the first deliverer in verse 7 So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. They did evil in God's sight by worshiping these false gods. They just forgot God. They forgot the Lord. How do you forget the Lord? You willfully put him out of your mind. It's possible for us to do the same thing. You get so busy with the things of this world, bowing down to the gods of this world, Before long, I haven't even thought about God all week. I haven't thought about God all month. I haven't thought about God for for two years. I've just put God out of my mind. They forgot the Lord. They willfully forgot God. This isn't the kind of thing of, I forgot where I put my wallet. This happened to me yesterday as we went up on the the marriage retreat. I was all flustered and discombobulated and, and I get to check in at the hotel and we go to grab our stuff and take it to the room and I'm like, where's my wallet? I have no idea where my wallet is. And so I go back in and I just, you know, use the credit card and, and I'm like, did I leave my wallet on the, on the desk? Nope, you didn't leave it there. And sure enough, it was in the back seat of the car. What in the heck's it doing in the back seat of the car? I don't know. See, that's not the kind of forgetfulness here. This is just simply willful choice. I'm willfully putting God out of my mind. I'm choosing to serve these false gods. If you missed last week's study, please do go back and listen to it on the church's website. We covered in detail the Baals and the Ashtoreths. In verse 8, therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. This is righteous and holy anger, godly jealousy, God's heart is for the children of Israel. Notice he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan Rishathim eight years. So God brings about a natural consequence and sells them into the hands of their enemies. They're now in bondage. Interesting, Cushan Rishathim means double darkness. How would you like to have that? as the guy that you're in bondage to. Sometimes we can relate in our lives, can't we? In our walk with the Lord. We get away from God. We drift from God. We begin to worship the gods of this land. God allows us to then be in bondage to our sin. We find ourselves in a place of multiplied darkness, double darkness. In verse 8, 
Going on into verse 9, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. Othniel, the son of Kinaz, Caleb's younger brother. This is one of my favorite verses in the book of Judges. We're going to see it over and over again in this pattern, this circle that the children of Israel, they serve God for a brief moment, get into sin, get into idolatry, get into bondage, then they cry out to God. They get to a place of desperation. It had been eight years, but it took eight years of bondage before they got tired of it. And sometimes it's a long road until we get tired of a life of sin, isn't it? Where the consequences of our sin get great enough, where we're desperate before God, we begin to cry out to God. Say, God, please, would you set me free from this? I'm tired of the weight of bitterness. I can't hold on to it anymore. God, would you help me? God, I'm so so tired of blowing up on people in my anger. And we get on our knees. We cry out to God. We maybe even fast for a while, but we're desperate. We, We need God's intervention in our life. Lord, I'm, I'm tired of the abuse of alcohol and drunkenness and what it's doing to me. Everybody says, hey, there's no problem with pot and marijuana, but I can't get through a day without it. It's been eight years. I'm tired of it. I've lost all motivation. I've lost a desire for the things that I should be passionate. And we cry out to the Lord. And a lot of times from our understanding of the book of Judges, we would think that God wouldn't deliver. But every time God raises up a deliverer in his grace. God is ready tonight to bring deliverance to our lives if we cry out to him. Not only does God test us to reveal our hearts, but he hears. God hears. God heard the cry. They cried out, and God responded, and he raised up a a judge. He raised up a deliverer. Don't be discouraged if you're feeling like the Lord doesn't hear your prayers. He does. He hears your prayers. Cry out to him. Even if you're in a rebellious state, especially if you're in a rebellious state. Verse 10, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. This is so important. Every work of God requires the spirit of God. We can't do the work of God without the power of God. In the book of Acts, the spirit came upon the early church and was the power. It fueled the movement of God. And God bringing deliverance in our lives, it's not going to be by power or by might or by strength. It's going to come from the Spirit of the Lord. And as we get desperate and we've tried self-improvement, we've tried behavior modification, and we realize that that's broken and that doesn't work, and we cry out to the Spirit of God and say, Lord, would your Spirit be upon me? The Spirit came upon the judge, Othniel. Also, the Spirit doesn't come into existence or come on the pages of scripture in the book of Acts. The spirit is God. The spirit is eternal. The spirit has no beginning point and no ending point. Always is and always was. Is not a created being that came into existence. The spirit's alive and well in the Old Testament. So this is what Othniel did. He went out to war and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathim. So the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Remember, this period of the judges is 450 years for the nation of Israel. This is a long time. They have now rest for 40 years. But once again, we're going to see this cycle start over. 
Once the leader dies, once the judge dies, what does the nation of Israel do? Verse 12, and the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So hopefully the patterns are being broken in our lives of destruction. And we're not just crying out to God to get out of our consequences. But we're crying out to the Lord to be right with him and to be close to him, to draw near to him, to want fellowship with him. Because if we're just wanting out of our consequences, once our situation gets better, we'll go right back to our life of sin, just like the nation of Israel. So here they find themselves again doing what's evil in the sight of the Lord. What does God do? So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. James 4 verse 4 says, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. As they're putting themselves in the place of idolatry, they're now having God in opposition to them. This is not a good place for us to be. God loves them enough to correct them. So he strengthened the king of Moab. Verse 13, Then he gathered to himself, speaking of Eglon, the people of Ammon and Amalek, and went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of palms. Important to go back to Genesis 19 to find the origin of Moab and Ammon. It came from Lot. Lot watched Sodom get destroyed. His wife turned back and was turned to a pillar of salt. Only his two daughters are with him. They're concerned that there's no other man on the planet. So they seduce dad. Dad has sexual relation with both of his daughters. They have sons named Moab and Ammon. And this is the Moabites and the Ammonites. And the Moabites and the Ammonites were enemies of the nation of Israel going forward from that point. Sin literally grew legs and multiplied. Are you following me? This little event in the cave with dad resulted in two people groups. So it makes sense that these people groups would join together with Amalek and they took the city of Palms. And the city of Palms was the city of Jericho. Very fertile place, lots of land to this day that produces great agriculture. So they come in and they say, we want this place. We want the the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. Why does it take 18 years to cry out to the Lord? Why does it take us 18 years to cry out to the Lord? Why does it take 25 years? Why is it that we're content to be in bondage to sin? 18 years, verse 15, but when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Once again, we find the grace of God. God's grace is so vast, so large, it's greater than what we can comprehend what we could extend to someone, even though they're right back in this cycle. 40 years go by, Othniel's dead, back into idolatry, 18 years of bondage, they cry out to God, and God responds and raises up a deliverer. Maybe there's some struggle in your life where you've cried out to God, God brought victory, things got better, but then you slipped back into that sin, into that struggle. And it's not that we fall into sin, we walk into sin, don't we? They walked right into this. They're marrying these people. They're entering into compromise. We like to say, well, I kind of just fell into sin. Oops. (laughs) You know, when the reality of it is, is we walked full-blown into it. 
We knew exactly what we were doing. And you've gone back to something that the Lord has delivered you from and you feel so guilty. And you go, can I call out to God again? Well, will God deliver? Will he intervene in my life again? Absolutely, he will. And we see that in this verse. He raises up Ehud. We learn from Ehud that he's a Benjamite. Now, this is interesting because he's a left-handed Benjamite. The word Benjamite, it means son of my right hand, and yet he's left-handed. That would bring some questions as you grow up, saying, God, why am I from the tribe of Benjamin, but yet I've been given a left hand? This isn't no big deal now in our culture and society to be left-handed. But in ancient times, and even in the Middle East today, if a child is left-handed, they force them to use their right hand. It's not okay to use your left hand. You can't write with your left hand. You can't go shake someone's hand with your left hand. It's outside of culture. And it was actually believed in this time period for the nation of Israel that it was a curse to be left-handed. So here he is, what he perceives as a curse, being from the tribe of Benjamin, but we'll find that God is going to use the fact that he is left-handed as we'll continue to read this story, that God doesn't make mistakes. Every detail in Scripture is important. God says he's left-handed for a reason. He's coming with tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. They have to appease the king with gifts. Verse 16, Now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was a double-edged sword, a cubit in length, fastened under his clothes and on his right thigh. Anytime you see a sword in scripture that's double-edged, it should point you to what? It should point you to the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says this about God's word. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Have you experienced that with God's word? Different points in your life? That God's word just explodes inside of you. It's living. It's powerful. It cuts deeper than anything that you could possibly imagine. And God just begins to do surgery, exacting surgery in your heart and your life. You go, God, that's for me. So this sword that's going to bring back victory points to the word of God that brings victory in our lives as well. This dagger that he has is a cubit, which is 18 inches, an 18-inch dagger. And where does he put the dagger? He puts it under his clothes. And what do we do with the word of God? We hide it in our hearts in order to have victory. Psalms 119 says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So he's left-handed. He's got a double-edged dagger. And what's he going to do with this dagger? Verse 17 So he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. So keep that in mind. Verse 18. And when he'd finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. So it was a sizable gift that was brought to Eglon. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal, these idols that were at Gilgal, and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. He said, keep silence. And all who attended him went out from him. Who can resist a good secret, right? Oh, man, I got a secret. You know, please don't tell everybody else. This is just between you and me. I got got a secret I've got to tell you. 
So Eglon says, great, let's find a private place to have this conversation. Verse 20, so Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in a cool private chamber. This would be a place for him to be able to rest from the heat of the day. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Can you imagine this big beast of a man, Eglon? Oh, you've got a message from God. Is it on Twitter? Is it on Facebook? Oh, all right. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. This is where the left hand comes into play because no one used their left hand. It was a curse. Everyone used their right hand and they would put their dagger on their left thigh. He would have been searched by the secret service before having this meeting with the king, but they wouldn't search the right thigh. See, God had a purposeful design in Ehud's life for Ehud's calling for him to be left-handed Now he uses this to bring about a victory. There may be something in your life that you don't like about yourself. And you've kind of been told that it was a curse or it didn't quite fit in. And you've wondered and you've asked God, why was I made this way? Why do I look this way? Why do I have this kind of personality and those kind of things? See, God made you just the way he wants you to be. He doesn't make mistakes. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Your personality is engineered by God. Your looks are engineered by God. You being left-handed or right-handed is engineered by God for exact purposes. God doesn't make mistakes, and he even uses what we perceive to be weaknesses. In verse 22, even the hilt went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade. For he didn't draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Now, some of you going, gross. I understand why this possibly could be the grossest story ever. And some of you are going, awesome. This is just awesome. The dagger would have been 18 inches. The handle is thought to be about 12 inches. So you've got about 30 inches of fat here. And then the blade can't come out, and the fat just consumes the blade. And the old King James says the dirt came out. The new King James says the entrails. Either way, the illustration and the application is absolutely perfect. The flesh is out of control, isn't it? Our sinful flesh is out of control. How do we have victory over the aguan in our life? Maybe you've got this aguan that you've been in bondage to, and you've cried out to the Lord, and you've wondered, how do I have victory? How do I have transformation that takes place in my life? It's through the Word of God. You take the Word of God, and you stick it to your flesh, to my sinful flesh. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and what did he use to overcome the enemy? A far greater foe than aguan. He used the Word of God. And every time, he said, thus says the Lord. It is written, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus could have relied upon his deity. He could have called down angels. But instead, he used a tool, a weapon that's accessible to us, the word of God. How does a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word of God. 
So we know our eglon. We know our particular struggle. We all have it tonight. We could be comfortable with it, or we could be desperate, and we could cry out to God, seeking God for deliverance. Take the word of God. Memorize it. Find verses that apply to that particular struggle. We're really without excuse. We live in the information age. You can go to Bible Gateway and put in something like anger and find all these verses in the Bible that tell you exactly what to do with anger. Unforgiveness, bitterness, lust. Put it in there. And then you'll have those verses. Novel idea. Actually read your Bible. Just read it, you know? You won't need Bible Gateway. You'll know those verses. You underline them, you memorize them, and then you use it in those moments of temptation. That's when the victory comes. We're going to be tempted. Gang, we are going to be tempted. We are going to deal with this. We need to have the Word of God in our hearts and ready to go. I like what John Corson says on this section of Scripture. He was my pastor growing up. Speaking of the power of God's Word is first we want to read it consistently. We want to read it consistently. We want to be a people that are in the Word of God, not just for the sake of being in the Word, but so that the Word of God will be in us. Because as we're in the Word of God and the Word of God's in us, guess what? The dirt is going to come out. Haven't you found that to be true? The Word of God, as it stabs us, the dirt comes out. And the victory becomes in our lives. So be a person of the Word. Read it consistently. But also, read it expectantly. I can feel it tonight coming into the sanctuary in worship and worshiping together, there was a spirit of expectation that we're meeting with a living God. We're worshiping God and we're reading his word and he's communicating to us. There seems to be those times in my devotional life where I just come with some hunger. I come with some expectation. I come with a pen and a piece of paper and I'm saying, Lord, I'm expecting to hear from you tonight. I'm expecting to hear from you this morning. So read God's word expectantly. But also read God's word conversationally. And you're saying, what in the world? How do I read God's word conversationally? As you're reading God's word, talk it over with the author. Talk it over with the father. Saying, what does this mean? Or, oh, I know what this means. And God, would you help me with this? Lord, you're so wonderful, you're so gracious and and forgiving, and talk to God as you read the word, but then don't forget, we need to read God's word obediently. We need to read it with our sandals on, with our shoes on, with a heart to say, Lord, I want to live this out, I want to apply it to my life. I know this is simple, and some of you are saying, I don't know, I'm not sure. The depth of my struggle, the depth of my depravity, Could the word of God provide victory in my life? Absolutely. Apply it. Take this two-edged sword, this specific that deals with our struggle, and stick it to the flesh. Stick it to the aglon in our life. Verse 23. Then Ehud went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. When he'd gone out, Eglon's servants came to look And to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, he's probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. This is the most polite way of saying he's using the restroom. They're like, he must be sitting on the pot. Verse 25, so they waited till they were embarrassed. (laughs) They're like, it is taking so long. There is no way possible that it could take someone that long to go to the restroom. 
And still, he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key. Can you imagine it? No, you open the door. No, no, you open the door. So finally, someone had the courage and opened the door, and there was the master fallen dead on the floor. God doesn't make our mistakes. He uses the left-handed aspects to us. He uses our, our weaknesses. God's word provides victory. The double-edged dagger provided victory. The story continues, but Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone image and escaped to Sirah. And it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet and the mountains of Ephraim and the children of Israel rent down with him from the mountains and he led them. God blesses obedience. God brings deliverance to a nation through one person's obedience, Ehud. That's the encouragement of the judges. One person who's obedient. A group of people that are repentant and God blesses obedience. There's great hope for our land and it's found in Jesus Christ and as God's people are willing to walk in obedience. Never underestimate the power of obedience. Ehud does what God tells him to do. He uses the dagger against Eglah and then he goes to the mountains and blows the trumpets and it's as if all of the nation of Israel is just waiting for one person to take a step. You never know what your obedience is going to do in the life of another believer. They see you obey and they see God move and they see the power of the word and they go, I'm in. I'm all in. So don't ever underestimate what God can do through the power of obedience. Also, I think that people are willing to follow more readily when we use the word of God against our own sinful flesh. When we apply it first to our own struggle. And before Ehud went and called the people of Israel to war, he went to war himself. And we need to go to war first. And then I think others will come and rally around. In verse 28, then he said to them, follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. So they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan, the shores of the Jordan, leading to Moab. And didn't allow anyone to cross over. And at that time, they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor, not a man escaped. A great, great victory. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. First judge was Othniel, second judge was, was Ehud. Now they have rest for an 80 year period, walking in obedience with the Lord. Here's the third judge. And before you close your Bible, give Shamgar a chance. Verse 31. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. What's an ox goad? It's a long stick with a sharp point that you would use to herd your oxen, to herd your cattle. God does an extraordinary work through a very ordinary instrument, an ox goad. Why did Shamgard use an ox goad? Because that's what was in his hand, and he was a rancher. That's what he was familiar with. And so God used what was in his hand. A lot of times we think that in order for God to do a supernatural work in and through our lives, that we've got to be something a lot more than ordinary, 
that we've got to be Thor or one of the Avengers or Captain America or something like that in order for God to use us. But God uses available people who surrender what's in their hand to God. And it's throughout Scripture. What did God use in Moses' life? His staff. The staff was used by the Lord. What was used in David's life? His slingshot, a very ordinary object. It wasn't the normal instrument for war, but God used it to bring down the giant, Goliath, that no one else wanted to face. Here, Shamgar, what did God use? What was in his hand? Paul gets saved, and he was a scholar. He was a student. He was good with the pen, and God used that as he wrote so much of the New Testament. God wants to use what's in your hand. What's your likes? What's your interest? Do you love coffee? Are you a barista? Do you own a coffee shop? Guess what? God wants to use that love, that passion, that skill for the kingdom of God. We've got a misnomer to think you've got to be a pastor or work at a church or work at a nonprofit to be used by God. Maybe you find a wrench in your hand. That's your ox goad. No, don't go kill people with your wrench. This is the new covenant. But you're to use that. It's going to bring you into contact with people that don't know Christ and use that for the Lord. Is photography your thing? Is it your love? Is it your passion? Is what you're gifted in? It's not happen chance. Use that for the Lord. Find the kingdom mission inside of what's in your hand. Surrender it to the Lord. But a lot of times we think that our gifts and talents and interests, that they're for us. They're not for us. They're for God's kingdom. And the Lord used Shamgar with what was in his hand. And use what's in your hand as well for the glory of God. So some application tonight. First is this, is respond to the test results. What are the test results honestly saying as you go through the trials and the difficulties of life? We can live in denial, go, no, I'm fine. I don't have any problems. It's not revealing anything. It's only revealing good stuff. Or we can stop and say, something's really wrong here. The test is revealing that I don't have the right heart towards the Lord. And are you in bondage tonight? Some type of bondage where sin is defeating you. It's ruling and it's reigning in your life. Cry out. Cry out. We have such a solid basis to be able to cry out to God because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our old man's been buried with Christ and we're risen in newness of life. But are you desperate? Would it bring you to your knees? Would you lose some sleep over it? Would you fast? But cry out to the Lord. They got desperate. They cried out to God. They begged for God to work in their lives. God responded in a gracious way and raised up a deliverer. But please, don't just cry out to get out of the circumstance. Cry out to be near to God. Otherwise, it's just going to repeat in our lives. And then apply the word to the flesh. Apply to the word to the flesh. Like Aegon, our flesh is alive and well. And if we just let it have its way, and we say, well, boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. I'm going to continue in this path of sin. We're going to continue in bondage. Or we can get after it. We can get into the word of God. 
We can memorize the word. And in those moments of temptation, use the, the word of God. Okay, let's all be honest as we close tonight. Every single one of us are sinners that are saved by God's grace. And that sinful nature, that flesh, is not going to go away until we're in God's presence and we're glorified. That's one of the things that I'm looking forward the most to going to heaven is waking up and no longer struggling with sin. And maybe you have a misperception that the pastors on staff here no longer struggle with sin. Every single one of us struggle with sin every single day. Spend a week with me and you'll know and you'll understand. And a lot of times when we come to church, we put on our church face. We put on our Saturday night happy face. I don't have any struggles face, you know? And wouldn't it be great if we just laid that down before the Lord and laid that down before one another? We know our flesh, and we know what happens if we give in to our flesh. And we say, you know what? I'm going to get in the Word. I'm going to memorize the Word. And in those moments of temptation, I'm going to quote God's Word out loud. I'm going to take the dagger, just like Ehud did, to my flesh. I'm going to cry out to Jesus who's promised a way of escape, saying, Jesus, would you help me? But the gospel provides deliverance from the power of sin. It provides victory for us. It's already taken place as we hold on to the word of God and we draw near to Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to do something different tonight. I want you to pray for the person that's sitting on your right and your left, whether you know them or not, because we know that everybody does struggle with sin asking that the Lord would bring victory, that the Lord would bring verses to mind to apply to particular struggles. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this vivid example and scripture of victory from bondage. Please help us to not be comfortable when we're enslaved to sin. May we get to this place of desperation of crying out to you. And we humble ourselves as a church family and we ask God that you would bring victory. And we want to just take a moment to pray for those that are on our right and on our left. So just quietly lift them up to the Lord. So Father, would you please bring verses to mind? Would you give us a hunger to look them up, to find them, to memorize them, and apply it to those particular areas of struggle? Also, would you touch hearts of those that don't know the Lord, that have never opened and surrendered their heart to you. If we could just continue in an attitude of prayer tonight. and Jesus said this in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life.